This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car, who have some useful tips for you that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can help clean the interior of your car. You can also remove the excess weight from your car to improve its gas mileage, or you can place your keychain remote underneath your chin to increase its range. They've got another great tip, which is if you are buying a used car, True Car can help you too. That's right. True Car is not just for buying a new car. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy a new or used car. And with True Car, you can see what other people paid, so you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy. So you're more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a True Car certified dealer. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, and so was Tywin Lannister, but we are just getting started here on the Game of Thrones post-show rewatch here for the season four finale of Game of Thrones. And now, here here I am, Rob Sestrian, here as well. This is a mess. It's Josh Wickler. (laughs) Neither of us are in the privy. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Sometimes it's a dirty situation, and you just got to deal with it yeah oh my god you ever go to chipotle uh, and then you try to get too many things in the burrito and it won't close that's what this this was like you were like uh, your back was against the rocks and you were just screaming to kill this intro kill the intro but we will not kill the intro we'll just take your gold and go to bravos instead yes okay here we are josh can you believe it (laughs) we are four seasons through on the game of thrones rewatch we have 27 episodes to go, and then we will be caught up with uh, with with uh, the show. 27 episodes left to rewatch, and then we're 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 current. Yeah, and a supersized Game of Thrones season four finale. And I do uh, remember sort of the reactions to this episode pretty vividly in terms of all of the business with taking out Tywin Lannister, the great fight scene between the Hound and Brienne of Tarth. Uh, we get some uh, battle sequence with the Stannis forces taking on the Wildling army north of the Wall. So there is, uh, much like the intro, a lot jammed in here into this episode. Yes, indeed, there is a great finale. Best finale so far, probably hard to hard to compete, I think, with the children at this point. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, I'd say yes, because uh, I feel like the season one and two finale are uh, not super exciting affairs, unlike solid episodes, you know, strong, strong, totally fine episodes. And, you know, season three is Red Wedding Hangover. Like those are all great episodes. Uh, But this is a really eventful episode. We're losing uh, we're losing Tywin Lannister, somebody who we have had in the story for so long. He's dead. Tyrion is on the run. He's a fugitive by the end of this thing. Uh, the conflict between 
the Night's Watch and the Wildlings, while not over, a certain phase of it is. And that has been a huge part of the driving force, certainly through the past couple of seasons of the show. Um, you you leave this episode on the first watch thinking that the Hound is going to, you know, that's the last time you're ever going to see that guy. Uh, and we know, of course, that's not true. But the way that they wrap up the Arya and the Hound arc just has this incredible power behind it. Bran finally gets where he was going uh, and we're going to be able to put him on ice for a season. So that's cause for celebration. Uh, So it's just there's a lot going on. Like, I think it says a lot when the most boring part of the episode involves the aftermath of dragons who have just roasted a child alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when that is like sort of just like the whatever moment of the episode you know, compared to everything else, I think that says a lot about the strength of how Game of Thrones resolved its fourth season. And R.I.P. Jojen Reed. <laughs> that, uh, you know, in my mind, it, it really, it was still just such a weird, it, it, it's just, it's shot so strangely, the way that he goes with like that one skeleton that's just like, blap, blap. That, just like burying the knife into him over and over again. And <laughs> it, it was just as comical on the rewatch. I know I shouldn't be laughing at we'll the get death into of George Reed, we'll get but into it. so strange. Okay, so let's talk you through the final episode of season four uh, here. Uh, the Children. The Children. Won't somebody think about the children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great name because, again, uh, double entendre here. Where uh, we have, of course, the children of the forest, but of course, uh, we have the children of Tywin Lannister very much uh, disobeying his wishes. Um, This would be another great list to write up, right? Like a ranking of the Game of Thrones episode titles, like regardless of the episode themselves, you are ranking like the worthiness and the appropriateness of the episode titles. I think right. the children would be very high up very on the high list. Up there. And we know right from the jump, uh, the Nightlands uh, would be <laughs> 66 dead, dead out of 66. Dead last. <laughs> the 60, Nightlands. 60, was it 67 at this point? Yeah, 67. 67. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Nightlands, dead last. Dead last. The Nightlands going to the Nightlands. <laughs> what a garbage title. I'm still not over that. Okay, (laughs) let's talk about uh, Jon Snow. We pick things up right where we left off, and Jon Snow has a plan. He is going to go north, and he is going to treat with Mance Raider, and then he is going to kill him. And Jon Snow very quickly is able to, he walks past the dead giant, which is cool. And he is able to make it to a Mance Raider who I guess has his tent set up very close to the wall. Very close to the wall. It's certainly in walking distance, although they could have yada yada or yara yara even the walking, uh, the length of time that it took Jon to get to man's raider but it seems like he was like just past the tree especially with you know stannis and everybody coming through yeah so he's right there he's right there and uh, john snow they pretty much like let him come in pretty easy and he says uh you know i'm here to uh negotiate with you now i wouldn't think that the wildling army would be much for negotiation but uh they end up having a real summit 
Yeah, I think they're probably curious about what the hell is going on with Jon Snow. You know, he's somebody that they've all recognized. None of these people know that Jon had turned on them. This is news. So I'm sure Mance Raider, who's a guy who likes a story, uh, and I think is a guy who probably feels pretty comfortable in having the power in the situation uh, with Jon Snow being the one mm-hmm. member of the Night's Watch showing up, that he could pump him for some information, at least get some details about how things worked out over at Castle Black. Uh, so that all that all adds up to me. But it, it, it does kind of have this whimsical air about it, this uh, this meeting of the minds between John and uh, the, the great Kieran Hines playing the show's kind of lackluster Mans Raider. Yeah. And uh, a meeting of the Mayans I hear is going to be the name of the pilot for the new Sons of Anarchy revival (laughs) of the Mayans. That's the name of the first episode. Really? (laughs) Really? Really, Rob? Really? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Long week, huh? It's only Tuesday as we're recording this. It's going to be a long one, dude. <laughs> oh, God. Gather yourself. <laughs> night gathers. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. The night lands. Or <laughs> Along with the intro to this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yep. uh, I like the conversation between John and Mance about uh, were you able to turn Egret? She wasn't able to uh, turn you. So, uh, th- th- you know, some small yeah, talk. toasts. Yeah. You know, the toasts. I liked the toasts. I liked the toast to Egret. They're drinking to Egret. And what are they even drinking? Some, some uh, Not poison. It's like uh, it's whatever Luke Skywalker was drinking on uh, the the planet with the fish nuns, like straight from the the, <laughs> the alien teeth, right? Just like this, like weird the green thing. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like they're talking about Mag the Mighty. I'm kind of wondering where this is coming from. Yeah, uh, Josh, in your mind, were the wildlings on to Jon Snow that they uh, left so many sharp? implements uh or uh sharp objects to blatantly plug another podcast around john snow yeah shout out to emily fox uh i wonder i don't think so i think that the wild things are just kind of careless and not really thinking about it there's so many of them there's only one of john i think they've been disarmed by john in the past at least in terms of uh his seeming allegiance to the wildling cause that i don't think that they're prepared for that uh, but Mance Raider is very observant. After this really lovely toast to Gren and Mag the Mighty, a toast to Gren and Mag or Mag and Gren, whichever way you'd prefer, mm-hmm. uh, Mance is going to figure out that Jon Snow is eyeing this uh, this piece of cutlery, and he, he deduces the real reason why Jon Snow is here. Yeah, and they very quickly are able to figure this out, but a horn blows, and are you attacking us? No. Uh, we find out that there is an army that is uh, coming on to take on the wildlings, which we will find out belongs to Stannis. Josh, I was actually really blown away in seeing the number of uh, troops and horses that Stannis has. He So he s- took a boat with all these horses and sailed it north of the wall to go and yeah. take on the wildling army. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I so, and but he, and the Iron Bank of Bravos funded him to do this. Yeah, like, yes, I, I feel like that. That was it was a that was disconnect. what this whole 
That's what this whole journey was about. No, I Weren't get you it. paying I, attention I, I, to I, I any was, of these uh, iron Hold on, hold on. Don't, don't say I wasn't paying attention. I'm saying it doesn't make sense. Oh, <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, that makes the Iron Bank of Bravos funded Stannis, right? So that he could take down the Lannisters. You know what would have been so much better is if Davos comes to Stannis at the end of season three and says, we should be going north. We should be fighting this battle up north. We're fighting the wrong cause. You're trying to win the throne when you really need to save the, the realm. And then you never see them again until this moment. How much better is that if out of nowhere, Stannis and Davos just come roaring in? They don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to you how all of that happened other than, yeah, we've been gearing up to do something like this. We got wind of what's going on up here at the wall and they show up and then we're spared all of those bullshit scenes at the Iron Bank and Solis and Melisandre taking a bath. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst scenes of season four outside of the Bran and Jojen and Mira stuff. Yeah, that would not be bad. It'd be much better. And I think it just would have been more exciting. I do think, like, there hasn't been a lot of Stannis and Davos stuff for the past episode or two, maybe even three at this point. So you kind of forget about them so that when they show up, it's kind of exciting. Um, I mean, it's an exciting moment for sure, but I just, I think that... You do like it invites you to kind of get lost in the details of like, wow, Stannis, you really pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. You didn't even have to eat the bootstraps, which is usually uh, your move Mm -hmm. in times like these. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we end up getting this uh, great battle sequence, uh, uh, a battle sequence here. Good. A really good battle. Yeah. But, you know, we're following uh, watchers on the wall mm-hmm. and so there's a, a lot of wildlings that get taken down and uh, very quickly we are able to get uh mance raider surrounded and mance is going to quickly surrender but he will not kneel he will not kneel uh and at that point like his whole thing is he's talking about how he doesn't want any further bloodshed he wants he just wants to get past the wall He wants him and his wildlings to get past the wall. He promises no one else has to die. He just wants to seek refuge. When he's articulating it like that, by the way, sounds incredibly reasonable and makes sense why Jon Snow is ultimately going to pick up that position uh, moving into season five. Um, But for a guy who's saying, I don't want there to be any further bloodshed, we lost so much already. Just kneel, dude. Mm -hmm. Just kneel. Save everybody. Right. Just kneel. I mean, Take a knee. I'll surrender, but I won't kneel. I mean, really seems like semantics, Mance Raider. I think so as well. Uh, but these, uh, these free folk, man. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. They're a very particular bunch. Okay. So we see Stannis now, and he is going to uh, talk with John about, okay, so... You know, your father was an honorable man. What would he do with Mance Raider? John says, well, they could have killed me. I say we just take him prisoner. Take him prisoner. And, you know, it's a good it's a good move, I think, to to spare his life and take him captive for now. You know, that's good for, you know, rallying the wildlings. If they need to do that, they can again, they can pump Mance now for information um so rather than just cut his head off i think that's what they can do but i think also what it is more than anything i think this is like a wistful john this is a guy who i don't know about regret but i think he's weary i think he's tired he's sad about egret talk about regret 
you know, he's very he's very upset about that. He's lost some friends. I think he just doesn't want to see. I think much like Mance, I think he doesn't want to see a lot of bloodshed anymore. And I think he probably feels like if they keep Mance alive, maybe the wildlings have a chance at falling in line and they can, you know, make this work a little bit easier. Uh, and I think it's a, it's, you know, one of his first real decisions as somebody who's going to be in charge of the wall coming up here pretty soon. So I like it. I think it's a, a proper move. Okay. Let's check in with Kyburn who is working on the mountain and things are not looking super great for the mountain, Josh. Indeed. It's looking bad. Uh, he's got like this awful abscess and Kyburn has like, uh, a hypodermic needle that like has been in Ray Zelinsky's lab and blown up. Uh, it's a comical size. It's just massive. Uh, and he thinks that he has a chance to bring the mountain back to some semblance of life. The mountain isn't dead yet, but he is suffering from a poison that will surely kill him, according to, to Pycelle. But Kyburn feels pretty confident that his past experiments are going to come to bear upon his attempts here on, on the mountain. Yeah, and Pycelle is really saying, like, hey, this guy is no good, that he's a, he's a troublemaker, and that uh, Cersei ends up uh, shooing him away. Yeah, and Pycelle must be really upset about that because he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Lannister loyalist through and through, mm -hmm. and he's getting shuffled aside for, for Kyburn. And he is lucky that that's all that's happening to him right now. Certainly, it will be much worse just a couple of seasons from now. Yes, I do like it that Cersei is asking Kyburn, well, what you're doing to him, uh, will it weaken him? And he's like, oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, no, not going to weaken him. That has to be, uh, here's another list. Maester Kyburn's top moments. <laughs> Who's going to read that? This is number one. Like that's got to be number one. That, just the, the look on his oh, face, no. like, no. oh no, 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 he's he's definitely going to be fine. Like he'll be he'll be really strong. Like that's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's probably like six great Kyber moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't think don't we th can get to ten? We could try. We could try, but I think it's. Gonna, I think we're gonna we're gonna go to the reach on that one mm. uh, if we really try to push it to ten. Okay. So Cersei is gonna have a conversation with uh, Tywin then, and she's still trying to get out of this wedding to Loras Tyrell. Uh, I do believe this is gonna be the last time we're gonna hear about this, right? I think so. It's really not gonna be that big of a deal, and also because season five, uh, you know, things are really gonna escalate. Where this is really the start of Cersei and like. I don't give an F type of mode mm -hmm. uh, where she's really like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. There's nothing you can do to stop me. All of that. She's going to, you know, throw the screws against the Tyrells. She's going to get Marjorie imprisoned. She's going to get Loris imprisoned. All of that is going to go down. And of course, that's all going to stem from the fact that Tywin, who is the guy that is really insisting on Cersei marrying Loris, it's about to get shot in the guts while he's taking a dump. So he's going to be out of the picture here pretty soon. So Cersei's not going to have anybody to answer to pretty soon. Yeah. And so the, she is uh, saying she's out. Tywin is saying, oh, no, you're in. And you're going to go go uh, off with Loras Tyrell. And she's saying, no, no, no. And she is going to be revealing some truth bombs. 
Yeah, she's pulling a page of the from the Donathan uh, playbook. Donathan, a great Westeros name, mm-hmm. by the way. Like fits yes. right in. Uh, <laughs> but with a Y. D O N A T H Y N. Donathan on its own isn't enough. We need to add the Y. I think you know that certainly uh, boosts up the Westeros factor. <laughs> I think it's already passable, but now it's like it, this this person can only come from Westeros. Uh Riverlands for sure. <laughs> uh and and Cersei, yeah, Cersei's gonna tell Tywin, if you make me marry Loras Tyrell, I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell everybody that the rumors are true. And he's like, What rumors? She's like, Seriously? It's really playing yeah, dumb, I, right? I genuinely have no idea what you're talking about. I think that like, there's you, you know, and yeah. Jamie? Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. I think that he knows, but he doesn't want to say it out loud because if he says it out loud, then it's real mm-hmm. and it's yucky and he doesn't want to have to think about it. But the, you know, Charles, Charles Dance just plays this so excellently. And I was, I was watching the episode and I, I had the thought of, man, Tywin Lannister really dies twice in this episode. Like this is, this is Cersei really driving uh, a, a crossbow bolt of her own into Tywin here of like, yeah, you know, Jamie, that, that son of yours that you love so much, he's uh, the father of my children. We're, we're, a, we're a thing. Uh, and you have no idea what your, what your family is up to and your family legacy is bullshit. And Tywin is just like so revolted and so grossed out by it. And I think so wounded by it that this is like the first bolt to the gut. Did you see the Godzilla trailer over the weekend uh, with Charles Dance? No, I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Charles Dance is in Godzilla? Uh, the Godzilla King of the Monsters. He's got like uh, a pretty uh, a good moment uh, towards the end of the trailer. He's like, God bless the King of the Monsters. Like, he's, he's got like something like that. It's like, oh, Tywin. Wow. That's great. I hope he lasts longer in Godzilla than he did in Alien Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, spoiler alert for Alien Three <laughs> doesn't doesn't make it very far. Good job by uh, Charles Dance. Um, so Cersei leaves that conversation, goes right to Jamie, and says, "Hey, I choose you, brother." it's like a pokemon uh i choose you jamie lannister yeah she says like no one matters anymore it's you and me uh i'm done with loris tyrell everything is is gonna be great i don't care who knows uh she's like coming on to him and he's like wait don't there's people who are gonna come in here she's like i don't care and suddenly he's just like back in like sept of baylor mode and just like here we go Game yeah, but this is uh, much uh, more clearly more defined. consensual. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Still aggressive, very aggro. I feel like, but yes, I don't know. but in uh, you know, uh, everybody is on board. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone is on the same page. It's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Danny is going to be seeing some more of the subjects. Office hours for Professor Danny. And so uh, first uh, we hear the story of Fenez. Yes, yes. Uh, not played by Andre the Giant. <laughs> uh, Fenez is old. He's a slave and he does not like. Was, the, was well, he was a slave, a slave and he has found out that not being a slave is not all it's cracked up to be. 
he enjoyed being a slave. He was happy being a slave. It was fine. Uh, it was it was better than what is currently happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he feels like all of his talents are being put to waste. He really liked the kids. He was teaching them, you know, all sorts of stuff. And he wants to go back. And I, I do think this is a, a compelling moment-ish in the in the grander arc of Daenerys's like learning how to rule and learning how to have to kind of adjust to the culture of where she is. And it's not enough to just want to do things the way that you see as clearly right and wrong, but you have to listen to your subjects and pay attention to, to what they're going through. And so she's able to like kind of modify his request where it's like, you can work for the guy. Like you're not his slave. You could have a contract with him and it's an annual contract. So you can always review whether or not it's fair. Um, I thought that, I thought that that was a, a good moment. I really love uh, the, the next guy who comes in, obviously with such a horrible story, but what tremendous acting. Oh, he's a good actor. Oh, I thought he was excellent. I thought that, uh, this, uh, his name, I'm, I'm looking it up. The, the name of the shepherd, uh, he's, uh, played by Darren Kent. He's the name of the man. And he just does a remarkable job conveying the grief of a man whose daughter has just been roasted by Drogon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's v- very upset, and this is a very upsetting moment, and it was it was tough to watch, and good on this guy who, who really came in and just crushed it. Feels like it takes Danny a minute to realize what's going on here. Yes, I think once she sees the bones, she's like, oh. Yeah, maybe oh. she's like, oh, okay, we goat this, because I, I look, okay, another dead goat, uh, I've been through this before, I know how to handle this, come on, uh, come on up here to the counter, and let, let me reimburse you for your three goats, sir. Yeah, this one, you can't really reimburse this one. No, no. And so, she's bummed out, and then it's time to go uh, lock those dragons up. Where they will be for the next good little while. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna be a while. Viserion and Rhaegal, they're gonna be they're gonna be locked up until season six. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. They're gonna spend a full season in the basement. Right. And Drogon is currently MIA. A wall. Yeah. Uh not the wall. Uh he is uh just he's off on his own, doing whatever. We're not gonna really have him back in the picture. He's going to make a cameo here and there, I think before his big, uh, dance of dragons moment, which, uh, when he comes back to save the day for Daenerys, uh, I was watching this scene though, Rob, and realizing that we've got, you know, 27 episodes between now and being caught up to the final season of the show and 20 of them, 20 of them. Daenerys is still going to be either in or near Meereen, and that is so wild to me. Yeah, no, she was there a long time. I feel like people don't really oh. talk about that. Yeah, she was uh, really uh, in Marine for seemingly forever. It's tough. That sucks. That really sucks. Amelia Clark is so great as this character, and just it's there's just not a lot going on there. It's a lot of just like. It really makes sense why the Grey Worm and Masande romance has to happen because you just have to have stuff happen, mm-hmm. you know. Otherwise, there's just nothing going on in this storyline. Yeah. Okay. 
Let's talk about Maester Eamon uh, presiding over a funeral. Now their watch has ended. Make sure you burn the bodies, everybody. Uh, that takes us into John and Tormund. And I like Tormund uh, sort of trying to find out, okay, so how am I going to be executed? Yeah, John's like, I don't think you will. You know, I, I don't really know. We're going to figure it out. You'll mm-hmm. be fine. Yeah. And so then uh, they're talking about whether or not John uh, is, has a king. And uh, Tormund feels like that John spent enough time with the free folk. He can never kneel again. No, and nor nor will he. You know, he is uh, he is the the king in the north. Except he's going to cowtail to Queen Daenerys at some point. At some point, but yeah, you, you know, that that's understandable. And technically, he wasn't he wasn't kneeling. He was lying down. <laughs> yeah. So they get back to the subject of Egret and whether or not uh, she loved him. Uh, John wants to uh, you know did she. How do you know she loved me? He's like, uh, well, she always said that she was going to kill you. Yeah, that's how the wildlings express themselves. Mm-hmm. Is that a wildling thing? I think that's it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So my wife must really love me. She loves you. Is she from north of the wall? Mm, north of Wanta. <laughs> Wanta. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll show myself out. Okay. So take her to the north, the real north, you know, the other side of the fence. Right. So, yeah, he has to take her up there, deserves to be buried up there. Man, everyone loved Egret, right? Like, Tormund is such an Egret fan. Yeah. Mance Raider was very bummed out about Egret's death. Uh, you really, uh, I, I don't think that you really got the sense of just how important she was to so many people until she was gone. Well, you know, to eulogize Egret, which we didn't properly do, to know her was to love her. Some uh, would call her the Smurfette of the Wildlings, uh, basically the only uh, female wildling that we really encounter in the entire wildling army. Uh, sure. She was like the RC of the Autobots. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, you know, uh, we meet Osha the wildling, but she is a defector. And really, in the entire wildling nation, she is uh, the only, you know, prominent female wildling. She's like the uh, black arachnia of the Predacons. Yes. And I guess you could count Craster's 99 daughters, but uh, I mean, they're te- technically not part of the rank and file of wildling. Right. right? Of like the of the like the fighting wildlings i think mm-hmm. that's true i think that's true yeah so i think you book, know. book does better in that let me just push my glasses back up my nose as i say that nerd yeah so she does a good job she does a good job yes. seems like uh you know basically all the wildling men seem to have a crush on her do you think we get any kind of egret cameo in the final season of Game of Thrones? How so? No, I think it would like, be too does confusing. Does John have a vision? Is he like close to death? And egret's like, no, you can't die yet. No. Yeah. And then he's like, ah, you're right. Yeah. I'm back. I don't think so. I think it would be too muddy with him having the relationship with Daenerys. Yeah, probably true. I think that, uh, Setting Egret ablaze here. I feel like that's that's the that's the end of that story. Yeah. He built a pretty decent uh, funeral pyre on strong short notice. Pyre. Yeah. yeah, strong pyre. And I, it didn't seem like he had much help in that. And uh, yeah, he really, you know, he did. 
did his due diligence on that front. Okay. Good job, John Snow. All right, let's check in with the brand crew who are seemingly pushed to their limits. Josh, it looks like they're not going to make it, but guess what? They're here. They've arrived. They're here. Uh, they've made it to the cave. And it's like the sun is setting just like it was in the vision. Everything is lining up perfectly. And Jojen Reed, man, not doing so hot. About to be very hot, but currently not doing so well. He's not doing super great. And so they make it. Hey, look, there is the tree. But without warning, uh, things start to rise up from the ground. Now, Josh, when we first watched this episode back in the spring of 2014, I think there was a lot of confusion about what exactly was going on here? Who are these things? What's going on in this scene? But now here we are some four years later and everything uh, makes a lot more sense. Does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> in fact it, it's it's kind of it, it makes it, less sense less sense yeah right because season six when we return to this storyline when bran has been uh you know studying underneath uh the three-eyed raven and gaining all of his his wisdom you know eating his brains and gaining all of his knowledge uh we're gonna find out that the night king can't even see where they are right until Brand makes the stupid, stupid, dumb, dumb decision to touch him in a dream mm -hmm. and gets branded. And then the Night King and all of the White Walkers are able to descend upon the tree. And is it because they know where they are, but they just can't enter because we're going to see all of these white skeletons like they're going to get shattered once they go into the tree. And so they just know it's not worth it. But doesn't it seem like they don't even know where the tree is in season six? Right. So if that's the case, what the hell are these guys? What are they doing here? Okay, let me give you my theory that uh, the skeleton army is like some sort of security system outside of the Three-Eyed Raven's tree. And if anybody walks up, these guys just basically attack. It would be like if you had, you know, a, a bunch of Rottweilers just like uh, in your <laughs> around your yard and anybody who came up, whether they were your friend or not, they would just attack them. Um, first of all, I will never own a pack of Rottweilers, let alone one. I'd be very scared uh, as somebody who, who gets a little afeard of the dogs. Uh, that does not sound like something I would have. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the three-eyed raven is the three-eyed raven. He knows Bran is coming. He's got to know that mm. Bran is close by. Well, Disarm the security alarm. Yeah, well, I think he knows that Bran's not going to die, and he knows that Jojen is going to die, and I think that that's maybe what he wants. Do you think he's like, ooh, Bran's almost here. Uh, and the children of the forest are like, oh, sweet. Should we turn off the alarm? He's like, no, I saw a vision. The The system has to go because that uh, other kid who's with him has to get stabbed in the chest a few times. And then after that happens, please throw a grenade at him. Mm -hmm. So these uh, skeletons are fierce. They are uh, fighting away. We see Bran is going to warg into Hodor. 
Josh, this is uh, confusing to me because Bran wargs into Hodor and then Hodor gets into like a huge, you know, uh, like axe fight with right. the skeletons. But Bran is not a trained axe fighter. I mean, when we saw Bran in his training at Winterfell, he was just a stupid little idiot that couldn't even hit a bullseye with a bow and arrow. So I understand if Bran can warg into Hodor and Hodor can just bludgeon people to death with his bare hands. But how all of a sudden is Bran able to warg into Hodor and Hodor is like a really skilled in hand to hand combat? You know, maybe back when Hodor was Willis, he was really good at axe battles and he's just like tapping into that part of Hodor that was there when he was a a young man. Maybe I I would I would actually buy that because when, you know, you warg into an eagle, you know, you don't know how to fly. The eagle knows how to fly. Right. So when you're when you're a wolf. You don't know how to do, to to wolf. What do wolves do? Mm, Track stuff. You kind of just figure right, it out, right? You figure it out. Okay, so you drink water. Yeah, the Jojen Reed death uh, is actually a very even more. Th- I don't think I remember this that uh, Jojen gets stabbed like uh, nineteen times in a row, ninety nine ninety nine times by yeah. a skeleton that doesn't even have its head anymore. Just like a Ooh, right. <laughs> The skeleton that has the head knocked off and just like a uh, skeleton arm stabs him like uh, 99 times. So I think that Jojen Reed deserves a lot more credit than we have given him. And here is why. Why? If Jojen Reed knows that Bran Stark has to reach the Three-Eyed Raven at all costs because him going to the Three-Eyed Raven is going to be critical for humanity at large. But... In so doing, Jojen also knows that he himself going to this tree will result in his own death. Then that means he's also seen just how graphically and gruesomely he is going to die. And he walks into that anyway. That is a brave human being. That is, a, that is somebody who is not only willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, but is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice in like the most over-the-top, violent way possible. He's getting, he gets stabbed in, like, the stomach over and over and over and over and over again so many times, and he knows that's going to happen, and he just goes and he does it anyway because he's, he's such a brave young guy, this Jojen Reed. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he just deserves a little bit of kudos on his way out the moon door. But not a lot of kudos for Mira Reed, right? Mira Reed doesn't really do anything. I mean, she yet. gives Bran a ride home. Yeah, she <laughs> gives him a ride home, and then Bran sends her away eventually. We haven't She's seen the Mira since then. She's the designated sledder. She's going to pull Bran home from the Three-Eyed Raven's house. That's does a lot of moping. And, like, I, I just want to give Jojen Reed credit for that. Yeah. That's, basic, that's basically it. Like the, uh, the Reeds in the... Let me put my glasses back down for a second. The reads in the book are great. I really, really love the reads in the book. And I think that they are another set of characters that the show kind of does a disservice the book, to. Right. You gotta, you gotta read some, you gotta read some. <laughs> okay. Uh, first appearance of leaf leaf, our favorite children of the forest, child of the forest. Yes. And those grenades, they flew. Yes. And, uh, Barbecue ensues. <laughs> Barbecue. 
Barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the security system uh, is unable to get inside the tree. They have protections for that. Yeah. So that's how they they sort of like program those things. So it's like, okay, they can they can do whatever you want outside, but then if they run inside the tree, they fall apart. Correct. Okay. Uh, three eyed raven is here. A, a three-eyed raven is here. Mm-hmm. He's going to get a makeover uh, fairly significantly between seasons. I mean, I guess Bran is going to get very tall. Yes. And then the three-eyed raven is going to shave and grow hair on his head again. Yes. Well, he says, uh, you know, I am what you see now. So maybe he can change his appearance to some degree. Oh, okay. I'll buy that. Sure. Why not? Yes. So basically you decide like, or he decides what you're seeing in sort of the representation of him. I'll take that. Um, but they have this moment and it's like, oh, you're finally here. You've, I've been waiting so long. Um, there, you know, everyone takes a moment to be upset about Jojen. He said, oh, Jojen knew that he was going to die. He still came. He's a badass. Uh, Bran, I've been, I've been watching you and everybody else with a thousand eyes and one. And I'd be like, the whole time? Yeah. Even very, in the privy, you creep? Yes, yes very mortifying and troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that that is, uh, those, are, those are things that you should be concerned about. Um, but he is going to say that Bran is, is here to regain what he has lost. And then Bran says, oh. uh, am I, am I going to be able to walk again? And he says, no, you will never walk again. But you shall fly. You shall fly. Okay. Yes. Uh, any significance on that line for you? You know, we're still waiting. I think the common consensus on this one, I believe, uh, is that Bran's going to warg into a dragon at some point. Not that right? Mira Reed pulled him down the sled uh, so fast that at some point he was <laughs> flying. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's Wee! it. I mean, is he is he flying through time? Mm. Perhaps. You know, that that would that would you know make some measure of sense and it would be some measure of this being fulfilled already. Mm-hmm. Uh but I, I think the, if the brand Stark storyline was something that we've had to go through all this way and it doesn't result in him warging into a dragon, I'll be really, really shocked. I will be very surprised if Game of Thrones ends without Bran warging into a dragon. That is such a like a shoot your hands up into the air, super pumped up, exciting moment that I, I feel like that's just it's such a no brainer for the final season of the show. You don't think that possibly Bran might have to fulfill some destiny to himself become the three eyed raven? Yeah, I mean, I think that he could do that, too. But I don't think that that would sur. I don't think that that would surpass this idea of you'll never walk again, but you'll fly. That's such a loaded thing to say. I mean, I guess he flies as ravens. He's you yeah. know warged into ravens before, so it would count. It counts. He's already flown, but it would be so anticlimactic <laughs> if if Brand does not warg into a dragon. Isn't that? Won't that be bullshit if Brand doesn't warg into a dragon? I mean, he really should. That would he really be ought to work into a dragon. You should yeah. think about it. I think he should think about if it. If he can, that would be good. If he can. Okay, let's check in with Brianne. And Brianne is going to uh, be able to uh, walk over and she sees Arya Stark. Yes, Arya Stark is in the middle of some water dancing. 
She's having a great time. Uh, and then she, they're going to start having a conversation. Uh, and there's, there's some great line about like, Aria like shouts out after the hand, the hound to be like, Hey, stop shitting. Somebody's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're going to get into this conversation where Brienne is going to figure out that this is Arya Stark. This is the person she's looking for. Yes. So when that happens by way of Podrick Payne identifying Sandor Clegane, and this is a very tense uh, scene because Brienne is like, no, 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 no. Oh, you're Arya. You're oh, this is great. And but she is wearing Lannister garments and uh, she is uh, sort of identified and outed as somebody who is some relationship with the Lannisters, which is uh, problematic for both Arya and the Hound. This is so satisfying because a lot of a lot of stuff is coming together here where a big part of why this is such a tense moment is the Hound is like, you're with the Lannisters, so you're out for the bounty on my head. It's like this comedy of errors, except it's not that funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where, and, and that's seeded in earlier in the season. So this, this whole scene, it's just, it's such a satisfying resolution, both to what Brienne and Podrick have been searching for for the past few episodes and what the Hound has been worried about, the, uh, the protectiveness he has started to feel over Arya. Uh, everything he says about there's no safety out there anymore. Her parents are dead. Her brother's dead. Her aunt is dead. Nobody is going to be able to protect her. And if you can't figure that that out, then you certainly can't protect her. And it's just it's this great surprising moment of like paternity from uh, from the Hound. And we know that he's already going to kind of have this redemptive arc once he returns to the show. Um, but he's already kind of on the cusp of that in this moment, too. And I think for the fact that he is going to get so uh, turned away from uh, by Arya that she's going to reject him so hard at the end of all of this, you got to imagine that that's just such a turnkey for everything that comes from him next. This scene, you know, the, the Tywin Lannister scene, I think, uh, very deservedly gets so much attention when you think about the season four finale. Uh, and of course, that's an incredible scene and an incredible death. But I do think that this is this is the best scene of the episode is everything that happens with Brienne and the Hound. The fight is so good, but it's just so loaded with so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's and excellent. It's so intense. I, I, oh. This might be the most epic hand to hand combat scene in the whole series, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know what? It's 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 funny because I felt like it it started off in a way where I was starting to have like flashbacks to the uh, the Beric Dondarrion fight, uh, where I wasn't that impressed at the start, where there's just a lot of quick cuts. Uh, it, it just it's so much, so much is being just uh, remarkably edited. Uh, y- like you're just like jumping around all over the place. And once the swords drop and once it becomes like this knockout, you know, drag out brawl, it is just one of the most ferocious things ever committed to to TV, let alone Game of Thrones. Uh, and I think that that's part of the point is there's sort of this like by the numbers quality to the sword fight. And then once the swords are ditched and it's just these two incredibly strong people scrapping for their lives, uh, the intensity and especially the fact that they are two people that you're pretty invested in at this point. If the show has done its job that you don't want to see either of these guys, Blackwater element to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, once the the battle turns and it's like 
He's choking her out. They're like hitting each other in the groin. All of that is, uh, it's so intense. It's so, so freaking intense. Uh, and it's just, it's like Game of Thrones is action component at its best because there's such emotional stakes behind it. And I think the point where it really turns is where Brienne has the high ground and the hound is sort of like on a knee and she's pointing her sword at him and he ends up grabbing yes. the blade of her sword with his hands and you see like the blood coming out of his hands but he's able to like hold her sword and like get position on her and is able to like uh, render her sword uh, useless by doing that and because she can't swing it at that point and uh, that's really where everything changes yeah I think it's this it's this great it's this great microcosm of why Game of Thrones is so great when it's so great, where it's this big kind of epic fantasy sword battle that's happening between the two of them. And then the more heroic of the two has the villain at sword point. And now all of a sudden this kind of, you know, uh, this hulking, sometimes deeply villainous character is going to not only get himself out of this immediate danger, but he's going to do it in a way that is so brutal and is going to do it in a way that is at his own expense, at the expense of his own health. I mean, those hands, youch, that hurts. And I think it's such a it's such a great way of subverting the expectations of the fight and really reflecting um, the subversive quality of Game of Thrones as well. So. You know, we could gush about it all day. It's just, it's excellent. It's a, it's a really great moment. And it's, it's fun to revisit this knowing that, you know, these two characters are going to see each other again, uh, towards the end of season seven in the final episode of season seven, Brienne and the Hound are going to encounter each other. Uh, and I, I don't remember exactly how that played out, but I think that there was this sort of like mutual respect quality about it where they're like, yeah, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we go back to something that happens before the fight sure, where yeah. they're talking about how uh, Brie, you know, who is the better guardian of Arya, whether it's going to be Brienne or the Hound and Brienne's talking about how she's going to take her to safety. And the Hound, I thought, asked a really good question of where are you going to take her? Her mom is dead. Her aunt is dead. Uh, right. There's no Winterfell. There is no safety. And I don't know if Brienne thought this through. Yeah, I think that it's a very valid point. And again, like just I think speaking to the larger themes that play in the show of like there's nowhere is really safe. There is no such thing as safety uh, everywhere. There is risk. And certainly in the, the times in which they're living in on, on this show right now, nothing is is, uh, you know, there's there's nowhere you can turn to. And for the cause that Brienne is fighting for. There's really nowhere safe right now to bring Arya except, I guess, to Castle Black, you know, which is what she ultimately does with Sansa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And based on what we saw in the last episode, uh, Castle Black, not exactly uh, not the best place, place to, to be. be. No. Yeah. No. So some wisdom from the Hound, okay. for sure. So ultimately, uh, the Hound is going to get the worst of this. He ends up taking a very bad fall. Uh, we see Podrick. He loses track of Arya. She's up hiding on the uh, top of one of these uh, mountain peaks in the area. And so we see the Hound is uh, basically not doing well. And Arya comes to see him. 
And uh, he is telling her that he is not going to make it. And he's, come on, do it now. Kill me. Uh, and she's not going to do it. Like, he's really trying to get her to to just, like, finish him off because he knows that he is in a very bad way. The injuries he has sustained. This is not the kind of thing that you survive from unless there is a maester hiding behind that rock. And you do wonder, how far away is Ian McShane right now? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> where is Swearingen? Is he just behind that rock? Uh, but he's trying to get her to do it, and she's just kind of staring him down. And and he talks about the butcher's boy, and he talks about Sansa in vivid, graphic, terrible detail, um, and none of it's working. And it's it's such a miserable look at this guy who has otherwise been so strong. Uh, it's just. It's just so rough. It's such a rough, rough final, uh, then final scene for this character. Do you feel like that Arya should have killed the Hound here? Um, no, because I'm so thrilled to have the Hound on the show right now. Right. But uh, I feel like that they had this relationship that built up all season. And then there was a point where he sort of uh, turned to her and said, okay, now do what I taught you to do and take me out here. And she didn't give him what he wanted. Right. Well, was this, think, was this vindictive? Was this retribution? I think so. I think so. I think so. I think for her, what she's figuring out in this moment is that maybe there are fates worse than death. Uh, you know, maybe uh, killing him would be to put him out of his misery. And maybe this is a person, given what he has done, uh, that deserves to dwell in misery a little bit. And I mean, Arya Stark is a very, very dark character, a very dark character. And she's already been a dark character, but this is a real stride in the direction of the, the young person who is going to go on to viciously murder Marin Trant, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just 10 episodes from now uh, and lose her sight for it. All of that. She's, this is, you know, very much uh, an early sign of the person who 20 episodes from now is going to viciously murder Walder Frey. And one episode after that viciously extinguish the rest of the phrase. Um, this is all in line with her, what her journey has been and and it it's one of those reasons why it just gives you cause to wonder where where is this show going for Arya? How does this story end? And if you think this story has a happy ending, have we been paying attention? There is one line that stood out to me as Arya and the Hound are debating, you know, how long will Arya last out there on her own? Arya says to the Hound, I'll last longer than you. Yeah. Josh, Arya versus the Hound, Game of Thrones longevity, who you got? I don't think the Hound is going to die. I think I think the Hound's going to make it through uh, is maybe a bold prediction, but I, I think that the Hound gets to live. I don't know that Arya does. So I have I have this. Uh, I, I think the Hound will outlast Arya Stark. Mm-hmm. OK, um, I'll be the optimist. I'll say Arya outlives the Hound. I, I would be very happy. You know, I'd be very happy if, if there is a bright future for Arya Stark, I think would be great. I just do think that we probably got to lose at least one more Stark, probably, before mm-hmm. this whole thing is over, would be my guess. And, you know, Jon Snow has already died once. Uh, and I, I think that there would be just about nobody 
let alone on the show, you know, you know, on the, on the whole show, let alone the Stark family that would have the emotional impact of, of losing more than Arya. I think everybody roots for Arya. Everybody loves Arya. Everybody wants her to get out of this darkness and maybe kill a few more people who deserve it first. Um, and to see her go through everything that she's gone through to not make it, I think would be really, really devastating and tragic, which is in game of Thrones wheelhouse. And you, you know, going into this final season, I do think that there are some things that feel fairly callable, you know, some things that feel like you can, you can see the bullets coming on, on a few of these final moments. Um, and I think an Arya death would be one that would be kind of surprising. Like an, an Arya death, I think would be one that would really take people, uh, off guard, including myself, even, you know, forecasting the possibility of it. I think I would be really shocked that game of Thrones had the ability to go there. All right. Well, we will see when we get to the someday, the final season someday of, of game of Thrones. Um, anything else on Arya and the hound here, Josh? No, this stuff is just so good. It's just, it's the best stuff of the episode. It's some of the best stuff of the better whole show. Better than what's to come. I do think so. I still, I think that this is better than, uh, than what's about to come. Okay. What's about to come is great, but I, I, I think, in the revisiting of this, I think that the Arya and the Hound resolution is uh, is the strongest point of this episode, uh, complete with that ridiculous, ridiculous fight between the Hound and Brienne. It's just done so well. OK. All right. Let's talk about Tyrion. And Tyrion is locked away and uh, he gets a visit from Jamie. Jamie, I loved this. I, you know, it's different. It's. Again, it's different from the books, and I, I do think that there is some stuff so? that happens. In, wh- in what way? Well, the 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 parting of ways between Jamie and Tyrion in um, in a Storm of Swords, where that happens, is a lot tenser. It's a lot uh, it's a lot more contentious. Jamie uh, reveals to Tyrion the um, the story about Tysha, uh, the 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 wife that Tyrion took when he was uh, younger mm-hmm. uh, and the whole revelation that she was um, that she was uh, a prostitute the whole time. Pretty sure that Jamie re- either reveals that to Tyrion for the first time in that moment, or at least reveals his involvement in it. The first time that he introduced the two of them to each other as a, as a means of helping Tyrion out initially. And I think that he sold Tyrion out to Tywin I'm probably getting some of that wrong, but there's, there's a moment here where there's like this big re- uh, revelation about it. Um, and Tyrion is so hurt by it. He is so upset by it that he tells Jamie, the next time I see you, I'll kill you. Um, and so it really, it, it puts Tyrion in this incredibly dark place immediately that I think from there, really fuels him to do what he does next. You know, what he does next, he does in the book as well, where he kills Shay and he's going to kill his father as well. And I think I buy his headspace more in the book than I do on the show. Some of this stuff just kind of didn't, it didn't land for me as well on a rewatch, you know, Tyrion going up and choking Shay to death. Like it's just, it's still, I don't know. 
I'd be curious to get your take on how that all played out for you. Yeah, well, it's unclear exactly where he's going. He doesn't have any reason to believe that Shay is going to go up there. I mean, you would think that the Tower of the Hand would be heavily fortified, and he really would run the risk of running into any number of security forces uh, you would think are a gold cloak here or there. And it's not right. like that he is going to be equipped to be able to, uh, you know, uh, take any of them on, you know, head to head. So I don't really know what he was going for. Did he want to go and talk things through with Ty? Did he want to go see Tywin one last time? So I just didn't get what it is that he is trying to do. Does it, he does he think he'll be able to go get a weapon and kill Tywin? So it's sort of like the Jon Snow plan of yeah. I'll get to Mance Raider. I'll figure it out when I get there. It's a bad plan. But what's the alternative? Yeah, yeah I just don't, I don't think that the show does a great job of like really explaining what's going on here and like giving you like a good reason to buy why Tyrion is going in deeper. And then also like having to just like kind of accept that like Varys is just like twiddling his thumbs, waiting on the other side of this door for this whole long stretch of time. That's not in the Varys playbook. That dude would have booked, you know, (laughs) he would have bailed after five minutes. He's not going to wait an hour and a half for Tyrion to show up. Um, so yeah, I I think that the show doesn't it doesn't really sell me anyway on him making that trek. You know, the results are very powerful and very uh, you know, memorable. The Tywin scene is still just excellent. It's just kind of the getting to there that, you know, you kind of you kind of draw a blank. But the uh, on the plus side, I think you you do get this really sweet moment between Tyrion and Jamie uh and this really great performance between Peter Dinklage and Nikolai Coster Waldo where they're uh where they hug it out and I thought that that was very sweet I thought that that was a very sweet moment between these two dudes sharing some love for each other these brothers who think they're never going to see each other again um I I thought that that was nice I thought it was nice I just think that the whole motivation for Tyrion doing what he does next is muddied and I think it's done a disservice by not going the way that George R. R. Martin had originally crafted it so what he does next is go up to Tywin's bedroom and sees that there is a woman in the bed and that woman happens to be Shay who I thought this was so absurd uh does not scream at all like like uh, Shay is very considerate to anybody else that is sleeping in the tower of the hand and she's never been one to like not speak her mind and you know be very vocal yes. in the past and like certainly to like shout at Tyrion specifically um but I wonder, the one thing that I do wonder is, like, does Shay, like, when she sees Tyrion, does she just, like, start seeing Red, too? And she's like, I'm going to kill this guy. Because is she so furious with Tyrion mm-hmm. at this point? So she doesn't uh, she want wants to kill the gold cloaks to come in? Yeah, I wonder if there's, like, a, a an aspect of Shay that just, like, wants to kill Tyrion herself. Um but I don't know. I, I, you know, you have me defending a scene that I really don't care for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just really don't like the scene. I don't think that they do a great job with it. And I think I have no problem with the show making Tyrion into a little bit of a monster here. Uh, I have no problem with Tyrion doing something monstrous here and killing Shay because it's it's shot that way. Um, but this is, you know, one of those things that, like, with the benefit of knowing where the show goes from here, you know, twenty seven episodes on from this moment. 
have really been no emotional ramifications for this. Like, I feel like Tyrion kills off his love interest from the past four seasons of the show and never really dwells on it too much. And if I'm wrong about that, and that's a part of season five that we'll get into, I'll be pleased to see some of that. But it's just it's not very memorable. And I think that that's a disservice to the to the reality of how the character would be reacting to this moment. Okay, so Tyrion ends up in this hand to hand combat with Shay. She's slapping him in the face. He ends up pulling on the necklace that uh, that Tywin has given her this necklace. I think Tyrion had given it to her, if I'm remembering right. Yes. Uh, it seems like it's a very nice necklace. Great necklace. Great necklace. And so he ends up uh, strangling her with the necklace. But he says, I'm sorry. Chokes her. So I yeah. guess it's even. <laughs> All good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I do think when you, when you kill somebody, but then you say you're sorry, then I think that's, you know, uh, I think that's, uh, is, you know, a wash. Do not take that as advice or as a recommendation that is yes, we, uh, we are not lawyers on this podcast idle, okay idle so speculation we are not we are not able to give legal advice right, in any right, way okay right 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 <laughs> anyway anyway all right uh crossbow how, that, how did how did that play for you did it play all right for you what did you think that was fine we've been, ta- we've been talking about the the shea death for so long i mean the the shea motive is much more of uh of my question where you know shea uh this whole time through is sort of like depicted as sort of yes uh she is uh, somebody who works in a job which uh a lot of people have uh morality issues with um, but she was always depicted as, okay, she was a good person. She loved Tyrion. She was sincere, but then, for, you know, she becomes, uh, you know, highly vindictive to the point where she knows how much, uh, you know, to the lengths that Tyrion's father is going to that, uh, not only is she testifying against him, she's also now in a relationship seemingly with, uh, Tywin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would love I would love to have known a little bit more about how that happened, how Tywin and and Shay got together. Yeah, we don't get that. I think would would have been interesting. Okay, so the crossbow is then uh, taking this. Uh, this is uh, still Joffrey's crossbow, right? I believe that's right. I do believe that's right, which adds some uh, adds a little bit more poetic justice to this moment. Mm-hmm. And so, why did Tywin hold on to this to remember Joffrey by? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it was a great crossbow. Even if the guy who, who owned the crossbow was kind of a, kind of a jerk. It's a nice crossbow. It would be a shame to let it go to waste. You don't throw out the crossbow with the crossbow wielder. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a saying. Tyrion goes to the privy where he finds Tywin and kicks the door open. And Tywin, uh, is very indignant about the whole thing about like, you want to talk to me in the privy? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and this is where you want to do it. But the power dynamics are, you know, he, he's used to being in charge of anybody in any room that he walks into. Not unlike a certain Philip Price, uh, you know, is the most powerful guy in any room he walks into. And here he is with his son who should not be here. He shouldn't be here at all. Uh, and he is thinking that he's just going to be able to do like the, the verbal judo to get himself out of this situation. And he's dealing with somebody he does not fully comprehend in this moment. Mm -hmm. And 
they have an interesting um, back and forth because uh, Tywin does not panic at any point during this. He's like, all right, come on. All right, you got me. Let's go. Come on. And Tyrion ends up talking about how, you know, all my life you wanted me to die. And uh, Tywin doesn't deny it. I mean, this is like hostage negotiation 101. He's like, you're right. You're right. I did. But but you never died. You never died. And I always admired that about you. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. He doesn't push back on on anything. He's like, "Uh, you know, you're right. That's right. Yes. Yes. And nice. Like, look at look at you. Look at you being here right now. What a great move. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just you just you've, you've really done it. Yeah, you really made me proud. And you are totally my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he talks about how uh, he he loved uh, Tyrion, loved Shay. And yes. uh, OK, well, uh, whatever. And uh, Tywin says, I'm not going to let you die. I wasn't going to let ill in pain. Uh, you take your head. Come on. That's not something I'm going to do. Like you were. It's like, I'm pretty sure you were. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure he would have. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Put down the crossbow. Do you, do you buy anything that Tywin is selling here? Yeah, of course not. Right. Uh, they can't say, look, you can't take anything at face value said while you are on the toilet, uh, having a crossbow pointed at you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll say anything. Say anything. Yes. And then so Tyrion admits that he killed Shay. He murdered her. Yeah, killed her. And Tywin again he looks he's like, "Ah, oh, she was a whore. Who cares?" Yeah, don't say that. Don't Don't say that word. Yeah, I'll kill you. I'll kill you if you say that again. Mhm. Yeah. And uh Tywin is saying, come on, let's, let's go back there and talk. Let's go back there and talk. And uh, Tyrion is like, no, you knew I didn't kill Joffrey. And you were going to kill me anyway. Mm-hmm. You didn't care. Yeah. That's how much you hated me. Come on, let's go back in there. And he's like, we can't go in there. She's that she's in there. And Tywin is like, oh, oh, what are you afraid of a dead whore? Come on. Oh, bad call, dude. That's going to get you a crossbow bolt to the abdomen and you're going to get knocked off your ass, buddy. Well, I guess not quite off his ass. He's right. still on no. his ass. Yeah, he says, uh, you shot me. <laughs> you shot me right in the arm. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's very shocked by that. <laughs> yeah, it's a real surprising moment. <laughs> and I can't believe you did that. Yeah, you shot me. And... This, I thought, was an interesting quote from Tywin here, Josh. He says to Tyrion, you're no son of mine. Right. Right. Um, You know, if Game of Thrones chooses to go down the road. of King's Road? uh, Go down the King's Road of there, you know, there's there are passionate theories about Tyrion Lannister actually being related to the Targaryens, uh, being the son of the Mad King Eris and Joanna Lannister instead of being the son of Tywin Lannister and Joanna Lannister. Uh, I think that the, the uh, again, I think that there is room for this in the book, and I think that it's a, it's a little bit harder to see how the show gets there with only six episodes. But the show hasn't, you know, not laid track for it. Mm-hmm. You know, this moment, you're no son of mine, 
you know, it could just be his, you know, his final righteous indignation towards this son of his that he views as an abomination. So you've never truly been mine or it could be literal, you know, who knows? It'll be, I'll be really curious to see where, where that goes. If that goes in the direction that, you know, the Valyrian foil hat theorists uh, might think that it will go, or if it'll just be kind of like, Tywin just like getting one last dig into his son before he gets shot in the in the gut. But to me, Josh, I I feel like that this is some of the strongest evidence that we yeah. have here that the Tyr- Tywin's last words to Tyrion are "You're no son of mine." Not like you know, I've always hated you. You you know, I'll never forgive you for killing your mother. But you are no son of mine. It seems like to deny the paternity in his final words i mean that that to me uh is making me the most bullish on the dragon has three heads yeah i like it too um you know i still i still love the idea of Tyrion being tywin's son and being the most like him and all of that but i think that there's there's some rich material to mine as well if we find out that Tyrion is secretly a targaryen so very open-minded to however the show wants to proceed with that okay all right we then see Tyrion with varus varus says my god what have you done yeah varus you should have left yeah really stood there for a long time a long time like honestly that had to have been like a solid 90 minutes at least Mm -hmm. yeah long stretch and so we see we put Tyrion into the box uh and we load speaking of Lee yeah. <laughs> yeah we load the box into the ship and Varys hears the bells tolling and that is like Varys's cue to be like yeah uh maybe I should get out of here too yeah maybe now would be a good time to leave this would be a good move let me uh I, I don't think he would have left you know I think he would have I think he would have smuggled Tyrion out i think he would have had Tyrion connect with um with uh his buddy from pentos illyrio i think he would have had illyrio send Tyrion to daenerys i think all of it would have still if varus had his way it would have played out exactly as it plays out except that varus would not have been there himself i think he would have preferred to have stayed in king's landing but Tyrion really blew it he lost his chill yeah and so we cut back to Arya on another ship. Yes. Uh, that uh, Chekhov's Bravosi coin is going to come into play here. Yes. And she wants to uh, book passage on a ship, a ship headed for Bravos. And he says, no, you can't book passage on this ship, young lady. But she presents, yeah. she presents him with a coin. And it's not a silver coin. It's an iron coin. It's yeah. And it's, it seems to, you know, that's the, that's the magic word, right? You know, uh, I guess technically the magic words are Valor Morgulis to which he says, Valor de Hyrus. Yes. Yeah. Come aboard. You get my cab and I'll sleep on the deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like really getting the Royal treatment. Um, that's and- when everybody makes the food <laughs> for her and gets served yes. to her any way she wants on the ship. <laughs> yes. If she wins, if she wins, mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to your friend and mine, the great Antonio Mazzaro, who is going to be making his post-show recaps come back uh, pretty soon here. Uh, and we were talking about this moment, and uh, he had a, a great take where the reason why this guy 
or anybody from Bravos would be just automatically like, yeah, 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 sure, 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 whatever you want, anything. It's because they probably think that she's already a faceless man. Uh, it's like it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to f with the faceless man. Yes, you get a cabin. Yes, you get free passage. All it takes is a coin, mm-hmm. and it's like the coin of the house of black and white. And you say the like words. A business it's card. Like, yeah, at that point, it's like, sure, yes, you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for me. That's pretty open and shut. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah. Antonio in uh, mid-season form. Oh my god! Indeed. No, this is the end of season four. Yes. Okay. There you go. What a what a way to <laughs> wrap this up. Okay. And uh, a high note. You know, we really bookends to the season where the first episode of season four we end on a high note for Arya, and the final episode of season four we end on a high note to Arya. Oh God, yes. Uh, she gets to leave. She's on her way to Bravos. Spent a lot of time in Bravos. Twenty episodes. That was a good amount of time. Um. But good for her getting out of here. I remember feeling, ah, great on you, Miss Stark. Mm -hmm. What a lovely thing to leave Westeros, a hopeful note. Okay. And yet, no Lady Stoneheart anywhere. No. No. And that's it for season four of Game of Thrones. Can we talk about uh, MVP and LVP uh, in hindsight? I think you got to give... MVP to you got to split it between Arya and the Hound, no? Arya and the Hound, uh, not Tyrion. Uh, Tyrion's very good too. The Red Viper is great. It's a hard one. That I mean, that's the mark of a good season is that I don't think that there's like one person that really was the breakout. You know, I think that there there were a couple of storylines and some just incredible performances. Um that makes it hard. I mean, if you want to go Tyrion, we've gone Tyrion before. Tyrion is great. Mm-hmm. Tyrion's really good this season. Uh, Red Viper is so good. Yeah. I feel like that uh, I would be okay with Arya, the character, and uh, Peter Dinklage, the performer. Sure. Like, a yeah, lot of bad stuff that... happens to Tyrion in this season. So much, so much bad stuff happens to Tyrion. And Peter Dinklage does such an excellent job. Yeah, he really, uh, he, he kills it. And he kills Tyrion. Yes. Or Tywin. Tywin. And and Shay. Who's the LVP in hindsight? Um, Like, in our hearts, it's not the case. But in reality, it's probably Carl Effington (laughs) from (laughs) Chinelli. No, he's the MVP. Uh, you know, I think in reality he's probably he's pretty close to the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he was terrific for podcasting. Yeah. Um, is, is it in the Stannis storyline? I mean, he has a big episode here. Oh, the Stannis storyline just sucked mm-hmm. so hard. The brand storyline was not so good either. Yeah. You know, I I do think I I mean certainly my my memory for this stuff uh you know it it thins the deeper we go uh but the uh the memories that I have of the Throners the very first ever Game of Thrones awards show that we held here on Post Show Recaps was post season four and we had the category about seasons uh you know storylines that you're uh most excited for moving forward or least excited for moving forward and the brand storyline was such an easy pick for the least exciting thing like no one was excited about it and so brand and all of that taking a seat for season five 
think was the best thing that could have possibly happened to that storyline. Cause I think they, when, when that storyline does return in season six, it comes back uh, with some teeth, but uh, man, that was, that was tough to slog through, but the San, the Stannis stuff was also rather miserable at times. All right, Josh, anything else that you want to mention about game of Thrones season four? No, it was excellent. And I'm, I'm sad that it's over because game of Thrones is, it's still game of Thrones. So it's always going to be great. Uh, but three and four, it's the high point of the show. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're, we're through the best stuff. I think there's still great stuff to come. Uh, that final stretch of six is a really, really, really great stretch of the show. Um, there's some bad stuff coming next season. I think next season, I think season five is the second weakest of the show, but maybe we'll have fun podcasting about Dorn. Yeah, no, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll, it'll, it'll yeah. be fun to go back and look and look at that stuff, which I have not looked yeah, at I, since I so. it aired. Actively, <laughs> you know, I've actively avoided the Dorn stuff, so uh, we can avoid it no longer. We are going to Dorn next year. We're going to Dorn. Okay, so be on the lookout for that. We will take a one-week yadas uh, between now and the <laughs> start that, of the season five. So, uh, That's so great. we'll take a uh, one short breather week to collect ourselves before we begin season five of Game of Thrones. Yes, one week off, then we will continue down the now, king's road that's not road. gonna screw us up scheduling wise where we're gonna miss the season seven premiere because we took this week off right josh i can't even joke about it because i'm mildly stressed about what are we gonna do with those dead weeks of time you know we we, we had such good intentions here but we're gonna we're gonna have like at least like three solid months between the end of this podcast oh, that's less than i and, thought i mean at least at least mm-hmm. probably have like half a year hmm Okay. Probably do like uh, deep dives into every, I don't know, maybe all those lists we've been talking about. Maybe, about maybe something like that. We'll, fi- we'll figure it sure. out. We'll figure it out. We'll okay. figure it out. We'll be fine. We'll be okay. So one week yadas, and then uh, we'll be back uh, to talk about the <laughs> season five premiere, of course. And that wasn't like, that wasn't like a joke. That was sincere yadas. Uh, there, there is a little bit of a language barrier. Got it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So Josh, of course, is uh, covering the HBO drama Sharp Objects. Uh, You can check that out on postshowrecaps.com as well. Uh, Josh, anything else you want to mention? Yeah, you're going to get to hear uh, at at least a temporary reunion between uh, yours truly and the aforementioned Antonio Mazzaro. We are going to be recording a podcast about the season two premiere of The Sinner, which is something I never expected to say because I barely even knew what The Sinner was. Yeah, what is it? Uh, it's a USA Network drama. It's a thriller. It is like uh, it's a detective show with uh, Bill Pullman hmm. is on it. Uh, and Carrie Coon, the oh. great Carrie Coon is going to be on it. Uh, and a young actor whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, but played a great character named Muhammad on Mr. Robot in uh, the favorite episode of the whole show for both Antonio and I is going to be on it, and a murder is going to occur, and it's going to be intense and scary and good podcasting. Upstate New York making a comeback. Oh, wow. That is, uh, of course, uh, a big piece of the, the Wiggler Mazzaro mythology. Uh, so we're going to do one. We're going to record a podcast about the season premiere. If you guys like it, then we will continue. I will also say 
um, that the stories are self-contained from season to season. So you should be able to just hop into season two without he- having seen a, a lick of season one, hop in. which is what I, which is what I am banking on. Because while Antonio has seen the first season of The Sinner, I have not. And I do not plan on changing that before watching the season two premiere. There you go. Boom. So how about that? All right. Great stuff, Josh. This was a joy to go through all of season four of Game of Thrones. This was my favorite season of uh, the rewatch also. The podcast. Uh, it was fun. Yes. It was great. It was great. Favorite, do you think this is the best season of the show? How does it How does it map out between this and three for you? Uh, yeah, I think that this is, uh, you know... Uh, there are some, you know high highs here and there's uh, a, a lot going on so yeah. i'll i'll say that it was but it's just it's so hard to be able to uh, like that, that my brain is not good at ranking things that way wow. too arbitrary and reductive no wow no, i just i forget wow. I, I, I forget <laughs> this uh, you know yes. this, like if i was able to you know binge it in a shorter period of time it, it's difficult for me i understand i understand okay I'll let you up. I'll let you off the hook this time. Just don't tell the I, back. I'm not fish. against ranking things. I'm just telling you that I struggle with ranking seasons of television like this. Just remember the next time you're going to make fun of my wombats hat that I gave you a really you. free pass on this like one. Like Akiva okay? would ask me, okay, I'll rank the Seinfeld seasons. It, 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 like that's it, it, it's hard for me. Okay. You know, to put, you know, so many episodes of television into a uh, a box. So what are you going to do? I'm playing the reins of Castamere on the tiniest violin for you right now. Okay. All right. An ominous note yes, to end. Very on. ominous. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.